live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Okay, I, I am sold. I mentioned at the end of the show yesterday, I, I was going to go to the China Lights thing. Gru, have you ever been to China Lights? You have never been there. All right. Well, and, and, and here's the deal. China Lights had a couple strikes against it from the beginning. I, I got off air yesterday. I was tired. I really just kind of wanted to stay home. It, it's located in Burner Botanical Gardens, which is on the south side, kind of by Southridge, which is to heck and gone from where I live. And trying to get from where I live to Burner Botanical at the height of rush hour, it's just, it's, it's eh, very difficult. So, so that, that, that's fine. But we, you know, we were going to go. So we were meeting some friends there. So we leave the house about five o'clock and it's bumper to bumper traffic all the way down 43 and then all the way over. But, you know, ultimately we, we ended up getting there. So this event has a couple strikes against it. Namely, again, number one, I was just tired. I really didn't want to do anything last night. Number two, it was just, again, you're fighting traffic the whole way when you get there. Number three, um, I did not dress appropriately because I just had this light jacket on, and after it got dark, it got chilly, not cold last night, but I, I wish I had a, a bigger coat on. So it's got all those three things going against it. You know, I'm, I'm tired, I fought rush hour traffic, and I'm a little bit underdressed for what the weather was. Having said that, if, if you haven't gone to China Lights, do yourself a favor and go, because it is really, really cool. And there were, I mean, there were a ton of people there, including a ton of listeners who said, hey, I heard you say you were coming. I said, yeah, I, I, I did. It was, it, it's just amazing if you, and I had never been before, so I, I didn't really know what to expect. But they set it up in the park, and it's, oh, gosh, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they have these series of displays, and it's one after another of these incredibly lighted Chinese things. There's dragons, and there's pandas, and there's the Great Wall of China. It's really an amazing setup, and you kind of wander through, and you look at all the different lighting displays, and there's places where you can take selfies and things like that or, or take pictures. There's two stages where they have performances, and the performances last about 20 minutes um, by, by acrobats who do. I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe that guy's, you know, balancing on like six chairs or things like that. It's really a good time. And it was very, very well attended last night. And we just had an absolute blast. So it, it was one where I was prepared not to like it just because of all the different things that went there. But I'm here to tell you, if, if you get a chance, and I think it runs through the end of October. Now, I, I don't know if it was like 20 or 25 degrees cooler and you had this heavy wind coming from the north. I, you know, It might have been a little bit less fun, but it was absolutely spectacular. If you haven't been to China Lights, I encourage you to get down there before the production ends. I will be shocked if you are disappointed. It was really really a very strong event until everybody came up and said hi last night it was um i just i enjoyed it thank you very much for listening to the program there's a picture if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 um 
Fran and I and two of the our, our friends who were with us, we, we kind of took a picture. We're banging this Chinese gong. They say it's good luck, so that's that that's us at China Lights. If you get a chance to do it, go down there. They're doing they do a tremendous job, and it's actually great to see the parks utilized in that particular fashion. All right, so China Lights, it is a must see. Here's the story: pedestrian sent to hospital with serious injuries after being struck by a car. Sixty-two year old man facing life threatening injuries after being struck by a vehicle Wednesday morning crash happened about 10 15 near west capitol how many problems do we have on capitol drive and west fond du lac avenue when a car traveling eastbound lost control went airborne struck a pedestrian a light pole and a bus shelter the pedestrian was transported to the hospital the driver of the vehicle a 20 year old milwaukee man fled the scene Huh. You wonder what that is. Um, was later apprehended by police. Police are asking the public utilize alternative routes as the scene of the crash is still active. Well, I certainly don't disagree with that. But once again, when it comes to driving across Capitol Drive in the city of Milwaukee, I, I think you might be well advised to use alternative routes pretty much any time. Because, I mean, if you just look at how many of these stories do we talk about, whether it's shootings or whether it's pedestrians getting hit or whether it's, you know, massive injuries as a result of high-speed chases or road rage. How many center around Capitol Drive? So, um, yeah, police are saying use alternate routes as the scene of the crash is still active. That might be a pretty decent piece of advice, period. And one update on something that we talked about yesterday. President Trump is scheduled to have a rally in Minneapolis at the Target Center tomorrow night, on, on Thursday night. The Target Center is the big arena in downtown Minneapolis where the basketball team plays, things like that. The mayor of Minneapolis is a self-proclaimed Trump hater. I mean, there's just no question about it. Hates Trump. So what he did earlier this week, or actually late last week, is he said to the Target Center, here's the deal. You're going to have this Trump rally here. We are going to require you to pay $530,000 for extra security. They have never done that before with regard to any sports team or political figure or whatever. They said, you know, we, we want the Trump campaign to pay. So what the Target Center did is they said, okay, before we're going, I, I, we know we have this contract with you, Trump campaign, before we honor that, before we let you set up, you're going to have to pay us $530,000 because the city says they're going to charge us $530,000, to which the Trump campaign said, wait a second, you know, we've got a contract, you know, you didn't ask us to pay any money, and at this late stage, we're not paying $530,000, this number that the mayor, who hates the Trump campaign, has just pulled out of a certain part of his anatomy. They said, no, we're, we're not paying you a dime, and if you back out on this, we're going to sue you. Well, all right, The this, one of the parties blinked, and in this case it was the Target Center, recognizing that they had a contract, and the contract doesn't say anything about having to pay five hundred and thirty grand. The Target Center said, okay, you know, well, you know, ne- never mind, and they'll deal with this, and they'll work it out with, the, with Minneapolis as to whether they have to pay or not. My guess is there will be no requirement that they pay. I think the mayor... I, I don't think that they really had any intention of trying to collect money from anybody other than the Trump campaign. And let's be honest, this was an attempt by the mayor to stop Donald Trump from being able to have a rally in his city. Well, okay, good luck with that. When we come back, 
want to start off with the matter affecting President Trump. And I know we've talked about this before, but this whole impeachment thing is ratcheting up. And what happened yesterday is President Trump essentially said, take this impeachment stuff and shove it. What do you think about that reaction? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. A woman done left, took all the reason I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Jeff Wagner, welcome back to the program. All right. He didn't exactly say, take this job and do that with it. But President Trump has pretty much said exactly that to the people that want to impeach him. Yesterday, in a move that is, I think, completely and totally unprecedented, the White House said that it's not going to cooperate at all with the House impeachment probe. White House said it's going to block a deposition of a U.S. ambassador. They're not going to let that happen. They're not going to respond to subpoenas, that they're not going to provide any more documents. In essence, they are just saying, you know, we are not going to cooperate at all. Their justification is they think that the impeachment inquiry is illegitimate. It is not being brought in good faith, and it's nothing but an effort to overturn the results of the 2018 election. One of the president's lawyers writes, you have designed and implemented your inquiry, this is to Congress, in a manner that violates fundamental fairness and constitutionally constitutionally mandated due process. President Trump cannot permit his administration to participate in this partisan inquiry under those circumstances. The administration ordering a full halt on cooperating with the impeachment probe. So, in other words, we are, if this is going to be the position, we are kind of starting down a road that we went to back in 1974 when you had President Nixon who refused to turn over the, the, the White House tapes and the matter went to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, he lost. He was ordered to turn over the tapes, and that then, I I think, started the, the flood towards his eventual resignation. But President Trump is saying, look, this is unfair. I, I don't believe this is brought in good faith. You haven't voted on an impeachment inquiry. I'm not going to cooperate with any of these committees. I'm not going to allow anybody associated with the Trump administration to cooperate. We're not giving you documents. Ball is in your court. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This ratchets it up dramatically. Because if this is going to be the position, we're not cooperating, we're not giving you anything. What it seems to me happens is Congress, controlled, at least the House of Representatives, controlled by Democrats, they send out subpoenas requiring people to testify. They send out subpoenas seeking different documents. The White House refuses to comply, refuses to allow people to testify, refuses to provide the documents. The next order then is the House holds the White House in contempt, and then, you know, you go into the court system, I guess, to determine whether or not this can be enforced. You know, can this subpoena be enforced? Can that subpoena be enforced? And pretty soon you have 
a full-blown, I don't want to overstate it, constitutional crisis. But, you know, we're, we're back in 1974 territory. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know where this all plays out. I don't know how it plays out. It seems to me if the parties dig in in this fashion, it's destined for the courts. Is this good for the country? Do you think President Trump is doing the right thing by essentially saying we're putting a full hold on cooperation? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is he doing the right thing or the wrong thing? All right, Drew is lining up the calls. Let me take a quick break. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This really is a, a big story because this ratchets this whole thing up to a different level. All right. President Trump doing the right thing. Are you glad he's telling Congress to take those subpoenas and you know what with them? Or should he just be cooperating and let this play out? We discuss next. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Let me start off my comments by this. The, the, the reality is, unless there is something more dramatic that is found, some real smoking gun, President Trump is not going to be impeached. This is ju- He's not going to be voted out of office. The House may very well vote. A majority of the members of the House, who happen to be Democrats, may very well vote to impeach him. He's not going to be convicted and removed from office in the U.S. Senate. Where the Senate, there's 53 Republicans. You need a two-thirds vote, so you'd need approximately 20 Republicans to jump ship. Not, not going to happen. So let's understand, this impeachment process right now is political theater. That's just the reality. That is the real world. And it has, of course, sucked all the oxygen out of all the other issues that, again, whether you're conservative or liberal, Republican, Democrat, you know, all all these other issues that you'd like to see people perhaps talking about, like fixing Social Security and the tax policy and foreign policy issues and gun control, if you're into gun control, all that's now taken a backseat to this impeachment inquiry, which at the end of the day is not going to remove Donald Trump. A year and a month from now, the American people are going to decide whether they want four more years of President Trump as president. And that's going to be, if he's going to be removed, in the real world, that is how it happens. So let me just say that at the beginning. So all the rest of this, let us understand, is political theater. Here's what I think should happen. If, in fact, we want to continue to pursue this particular play. All right, the Constitution does not say that the House has to have a vote before proceeding with impeachment. The Constitution simply says the House shall have the sole power of impeachment. So for everybody that says, well, they didn't take a vote, that means they don't have the authority. That's not that is not correct in a purely legal sense. Now, having said that, though, the last two impeachment inquiries that were undertaken um, were, were undertaken with a, a practice and policy. They were authorized by a vote of the full House of Representatives. All right. So there was a vote, the last two impeachment proceedings. And then after the impeachment proceedings were authorized, they were referred to the Judiciary Committee for further action. In this case, what the Democrats are doing is, number one, they're refusing to have a vote. And number two, instead of just sending this to the Judiciary Committee, they have six separate House committees 
that are all sending out subpoenas or sending out letters or trying to schedule, you know, depositions under the banner of an impeachment inquiry. When I see this process, it does scream to me fishing expedition, potential witch hunt. If and again, I understand the Constitution does not technically require them to do this, but it would seem to me that the procedure that was set up in the last two impeachment proceedings makes a lot of sense. Have the whole House vote on it, kick it to the Judiciary Committee that's ultimately been responsible for that, and then what's happened is when they've had the impeachment vote, they've also adopted a package of rules, and these rules, I think, kind of, you know, served the process well. The rules allowed the minority party to consult on the subpoenas. They granted the president's lawyers the right to attend all sessions related to impeachment. Um, The House hasn't adopted these rules. So I guess my first point would be, if if the Democrats want to go ahead and do this, understanding that it's not going to lead to the removal of President Trump, but it is, you know, they're looking for dirt. They're trying to find stuff. They should go, even though they're not constitutionally required to do it, they should follow the procedures that were followed in the past, have a full House vote, set up the rules for how the subpoenas are going to be issued, et cetera, et cetera, and then proceed. It makes it a lot cleaner, and I think it gives you the moral high ground on these particular issues. Now, here is the other reality that's out there, and and this can't be stated enough. Keep in mind, we've got all this stuff is playing out against the backdrop of a presidential election which, again, is going to come around in 13 months. Now, here's the deal. Let's say Congress issues subpoenas on witnesses. Um, We want the deposition of the ambassador to the Ukraine or whatever, and the White House refuses to let that person testify. What can Congress do? Well, the only option Congress really has, this would be the House of Representatives, is to go to federal court and try to get an order from a federal judge requiring the person to testify. Uh, Here is the problem with that. Congress has done that in the past, just recently. Right now, they're still, they're engaged in, in similar types of litigation with a number of other current or former Trump administration officials over testimony or documents. All right, so they've been trying this before. And what happens is you go to court on this type of stuff and these lawsuits deciding, you know, what the scope of executive privileges and things like that, they often take months or years sometimes to wind through the courts. So even if Congress decided we want to try to get orders requiring White House officials or this ambassador or that of ambassador to testify, you have to understand that it's going to be a lengthy legal process that ultimately will end up in the United States Supreme Court. And again, you're going to have more hearings on, on the scope of executive privilege and things like that, which might all be well and good, except for the fact that you've got an election in 13 months. And the truth of the matter is, I, I, I don't know, I, I earliest possible, if you were to issue subpoenas today and try to litigate a way of trying to force the testimony, you're probably... You get the fel- you get the hearings in front of the federal judge. You go to the federal appellate court. I mean, I- I'm not sure you get this case to the Supreme Court, and who knows how the Supreme Court's going to decide. But you probably don't get the Supreme Court this case to the Supreme Court 
until a year from now at the earliest. And, and what's happening a year and one month from now? It, it's an election. So I, I, I bring this up for everybody who feels really strongly on one side of this issue. Trump's a crook. He's got to go. Um, Trump's being victimized by a witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera. I, I want to just kind of inject a dose of reality into this conversation. Bottom line is, I don't see any way, even if you got him impeached in the House of Representatives, there, there's no way that he gets removed from office in the Senate. There's just not the votes that are there. As far as wide-ranging subpoenas and the like, I think if they really want to go down this route, they should open up an impeachment inquiry. You should have rules on that. It should be governed by the Judiciary Committee. But even if you do that, understand that if the White House refuses to cooperate and stonewalls it, you're going to we're going to be well into next year before you get court rulings. And then even if you get court rulings, all that does is it allows you to take discovery. So you get to, you know, depose the ambassador to Ukraine or something like that. You know, that doesn't mean that there's going to be some smoking gun there. I guess the bottom line is, I just want to underscore, I understand people feel really strongly about this, but the political reality is this is a sideshow. It's a political sideshow, and that is not endorsing President Trump's commentary necessarily. It's not saying that what President Trump did is, in my mind, an impeachable sort of offense. It's just laying out the reality, which is why I keep coming back to this whole discussion of, you you know what, maybe given the timing of all this, we would be better off concentrating on maybe some of the stuff that we can get done before the next presidential election. That's not going to happen, I understand, but that's just kind of the reality. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. In California, they have, look, I I understand they've got great weather. I understand they've got great weather, but you could not pay me to live there. You've got a huge problem with homeless folks that are overtaking some of the great cities in North America, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento. Huge problem, and they don't know what to do about it. They they just, they, they don't. They are paralyzed. On top of that, you have a state that has gone incredibly far to the left and it's almost like any whack job left-wing idea that somebody comes up with it starts in california and then people hope that is going to spread on top of that you have the high cost of living my niece junior at san diego state she loves it become a cali girl loves it i get it now after after she graduates and she's no longer being supported by her parents and Uncle Jeff. We'll see how she necessarily feels about that when she's on her own. But but she loves it, and I, I guess I, I, I would too if I was going to school and somebody else was paying for it. But but you've got this huge cost of living, and now you've got the fact that, that, that they're turning off the electricity. Yes, they are turning off the electricity. Okay, so here here's the deal. You will remember... Over the last several months and year or two, last year or two, they've had these major wildfires that have broken out in, in various areas of California. And what happens is you have these winds. You, you, have, you, you have lots of areas that are very, very dry. And then you have the winds that come and they blow. And so what happens is if you have a little fire, let's say you've got a little bit of a brush fire, and then you've got a 30 or 40 mile an hour wind that comes along, and it picks up 
that fire and it just blows. And then next thing you know, you know, you've got more and more, whether it's forest or more and more brushland or scrubland or whatever, it's on fire. And next thing you know, you have these monster wildfires where you have thousands of acres that are on fire and they're threatening homes and things like that. All right. Well, what they found is at least one and maybe more of these wildfires started by sparks on power lines. Um, so you've got PG&E, which is Pacific Gas and Electric. They've got all right. They've got these giant towers, you know, all all across you know California, right? And so what happens is every once in a while you get a spark, you get an electrical spark on one of these towers. A lot of the towers are older and things like that. So what they found happening is these sparks can contribute to or can start wildfires because you get a spark. And then the spark ends up igniting something that catches fire, and then the wind picks it up, and next thing is that you're off to the races. So what the gas, the electric company has decided to do in order to deal with this is they're going to shut off the power. So PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, has begun to shut off power to hundreds of thousands of people in order to prevent these fires. Their estimates are that in the next day or so, there will at least be half a million people, including, you know, a lot um, outside the immediate San Francisco area, 22 counties, Napa, Mendocino, Sonoma in wine country, um, Oakland, Berkeley, Santa Clara, um, San Jose. In a lot of these communities, what they're planning to do is to simply say, hey, you're you're done. We're not going to have. You're not going to have power. You know, you're you're going to be out of luck because as long as these winds are blowing and the conditions are like this, we're going to shut off power. The estimate is that by doing this, the shut off, they're planning to do this for at least two days. They say that it's probably going to affect somewhere between five hundred to eight hundred thousand of the residential and commercial customers. They estimate that it could cost as much as two and a half billion dollars um, in lost industrial and commercial activity because hey, if, if you're a shop owner and you don't have power you can't run your store if you're a factory owner and you don't have power you can't run your factory but their way of dealing with the fact that they don't want wildfires is to turn off the power all right one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so in California, you've got riots, you've got fires, you've got mudslides, um, you have overriding homeless problems, and now you have perhaps upwards of a million people who are going to be intentionally put in the dark for the next several days because, well, they're afraid that it might start another fire. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot imagine why anybody would want to live in California at this particular point in time. Can you? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think, you know, if, if I lived near one of these cities that was overrun with the homeless, I'd be sitting there thinking, okay, look, th- this doesn't look like it's going to get any better. I've got the cost of living that's huge, and now you're telling me that whenever the wind blows and the conditions are right, you're going to put me in the dark for 48 to 72 hours or longer? I don't think so. 414-799-1620, you couldn't pay me to live there. How about you?
Need power? Well, don't move to California. Don in Fond du Lac. Don, good afternoon. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Hi, Don. Uh, something that you did not mention when you were introducing the subject to your audience was that those, uh, it was deemed that those wildfires in California that, uh, where those sparks came off of that, that was deemed to be, uh, uh, the Pacific Gas and Electric, uh, that was their fault. And right. the courts held that they had to reimburse for all these damages. Right, and they so filed for if, bankruptcy if protection. Yeah, yep. exactly. They, they had to file for bankruptcy. So how can you have it both ways? If the courts are going to de- claim that they're responsible and they have to declare bankruptcy, fine. Maybe they can get out from underneath the creditors and still provide the consumer with power. But when you have these high winds and uh, you have this problem, they have no choice. They've got to shut off the electricity. And and that may very well be, Don. I guess my point is, do you want to live in an area where every time you have a storm where the winds are going to blow 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, that you're going to lose power for days? I guess that, I, I understand you know, PG&E is between a rock and a hard place, but what about the consumers? I mean, you're going to lose power for two or three days, and the next time the wind blows, they're going to shut it off as well. Well, maybe the Iceman has to come us, and maybe they have to go to kerosene lamps. I, if that, uh, no, I, no, right, th- no, I get it. No, thank, right, thanks for coming. Look, and I understand. I mean, it's, and you're exactly right. After, um, after the, these, there were 19 major wildfires in 2017 and 2018. People lost their lives. There was billions of dollars in damage. And, and yes, there were lawsuits because th- these wildfires started because the utility lines sparked. All right. And which is apparently something that you can't prevent happening. But now the result of all this is you're going to have people that are going to be without power for for days. 414-799-1620. Steve in Beaver Dam. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, well, what I, what I told your screener was I, I'm not a professional on this, but um, basically, the, um, like in all states like Wisconsin, I don't know much about California. But it's all gridded, hmm? so you get you got this power going out to these you know certain company or uh, certain areas, you know like uh, wherever wherever these fires are going, and it's to their benefit that you know you don't want to put all this power out to one place or whatever, and then everybody's done. And so I think what needs to be you know what needs to be said is bring a professional on and see where. You know how this is gridded, and before too many, you know. Okay, well, here I mean, here's I mean, here's what they say, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, it's not like they're going to turn off all the power to San Francisco, but here's what the Wall Street Journal says: they're doing this in three phases. First, five hundred and thirteen thousand customers, I think, started at, at midnight last night. Outages spread across twenty-two counties, including Napa, Mendocino, and Sonoma in wine country. Second phase is scheduled to start about noon today. They're turning off service to another two hundred and thirty-four thousand customers in other counties, including Alameda, which is the home to Oakland and Berkeley, and Santa Clara County, which is uh, where San Jose is. 
The third phase um, is in the southernmost service area. That's going to affect another 42,000 customers. So, yeah, it, it might it might very well be that you have power and your neighbor across the street doesn't. That, that may, well, can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Lights on on one side of the street, not on your side of the street. Might very well be the, the case. And, and look, and I, I'm not faulting PG&E for doing this. I, I understand. I'm just saying... Who wants to live in a state where the solution to, gee, we have high winds and that causes fires, so now we're going to turn off the power for days? That's my only point. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I admit, Melissa, I am fascinated by this this NBA China controversy that's just really blown up in the course of the last couple of days. Well, I think it shows the power of social media and how you should be really careful of how that could affect a lot of people. Well, or, or the flip side of that being... Okay, maybe this is shining a light on on the Chinese government and what that China too, is yeah. really about. I mean, for people who haven't been following this, last last Friday, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, his name is Daryl Morley. He he sends out a, a tweet which says something to the effect of "Stand up for freedom, support Hong Kong." And then he deleted it quickly. Well, well, after yeah. after you know everybody gets all upset about that. Now, of course, for people who haven't been following this, Hong Kong is semi-autonomous. China is incredibly author- authoritarian, maybe the most authoritarian country in the world ap- outside of places like like North Korea and things like that. But as far as like a major world power, it's very very. Repressive. They've got very, very strict rules. The government controls pretty much everything. And what's been going on is folks in Hong Kong who have been autonomous are fighting back now over efforts by China to restrict human rights and things like that, which is why you've had these stories over the last couple of weeks about the Hong Kong protesters and things uh, along those lines. So the Rockets general manager sends out a a relatively benign tweet, you know, saying, hey, so, so stand up for freedom, support Hong Kong. And the Chinese government goes absolutely bat crap crazy. And w- what they, they do is they demand an apology. They denounce the NBA. Um, there are a number of teams that are over there now that are supposed to play a game tomorrow. And the the, the latest news is that this fan event that they were supposed to have today and it before the exhibition game has now been canceled. You know, organizers are taking down all mm-hmm. the banners and things like that. Uh, the Chinese television network, and it's again a government controlled network, has now said that uh, the game's not going to be televised. And of course, basketball incredibly popular in china i was just going to say that very popular in china you know they, they estimate that what like half a billion people you know watch the nba and interestingly enough um houston houston rockets are an incredibly popular team in china because yao ming who was the big chinese basketball star he played his career for houston and so you know houston's always had a particular degree of fondness but now it's it's breaking down and the nba handled it very very badly at first because this is a league that has prided itself on encouraging individual Freedom of speech by its its athletes. Hey, you know, you know the, the whole thing. Don't just tell them to shut up and dribble. They, you know, they're entitled to positions. So now, given the fact that you, you have this general attitude that they've, you know, 
players have been encouraged to speak up on social issue, justice issues. There, when you have a general manager who's you know doing this, but because there's billions of dollars on the line, the the NBA I thought was very very slow, and they were very very apologetic and oh we you know we don't want to offend you know our big business partner. But now they're I think they're starting to dig in their heels and they're starting to say you know you know our you know people have a right to express things, but it's a mess. It is. And I, I, you know, I'll be interested to see how this turns out and how, you know, they sort of mend, mend their ways, hopefully. Well, you know, it's interesting because the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, who I, I think did not handle this properly at the beginning, you know, uh, yesterday he said, look, um, you know, upon reflection, the league supports Maury, that's the general manager, mm-hmm. his right to exercise his freedom of expression. And that then angered Chinese authorities even more and some, you know, fans there. So uh, it's it's worth about $4 billion. But I guess from my perspective, the, the NBA, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to encourage your players to speak up on social justice issues, you can't say unless – you know, it's it's, it's China. Billions that's worth of four dollars, billion. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. You, you, Ooh, that's you, a touchy situation. You can't have it either way. So the big question is now going to be as to whether or not um, they they go ahead and they they play these this exhibition game tomorrow. And LeBron James is over there because it's the, the Lakers that are over there, and it's the Nets whose owner is from Taiwan, as I recall. But it's I I don't know exactly how it's. I'm kind of fascinated out. by it just to see how you know. I mean, I I know NBA is very very huge in in China, and just to kind of see how they're reacting to it. I mean, this is a I guess a learning lesson for the NBA not to well, maybe post that stuff or or well, like you said, you know, if, if or if that's free, what you're going to be, of speech, yeah. right? Or, or you, I mean, it seems to me you, again, you can't have it both ways, and it's been interesting to see the way that some media outlets have covered this as well because. Um, there, there's been some criticism of the general manager for what he said, but no analysis of why he said what he said, which is that, you know, I mean, China is incredibly repressive. And I think it does maybe bigger picture shed some light into this this thing that's been going on for, you know, months now, you know, the, the trade wars. And I mean, without trying to bring President Trump into this, you know, he's maintained for the longest time that, that China has as an authoritarian, totalitarian government has been exploiting trade deals and manipulating currency and stealing intellectual property um, all because they can, because of their economic power. So it, it is interesting that now, to me, this has played out. I I don't know exactly what the answer is. It's tough to walk away from $4 billion. Well, like you said, it's very multi-layered on many, many different levels. Right. You know, but it, but it is, it, this is this is one tweet by one guy. It's not like the NBA comes out as a policy but i I do think it's again i I, you'd like to see more of these players who you know if if there was suppression of human rights like is going on in hong kong if something like that was happening certainly in this country you know that they'd be denouncing it right and left but if it affects your shoe deal are you going to do it and in any event that interesting news all right oh before you go i've got i've got a trivia question yes Eureka, Illinois. I'm not going to ask you where Eureka is. Eureka is about 150 miles southwest of Chicago. Okay, Eureka, Illinois. Population around 6,000. Do you know what Eureka, Illinois is perhaps most famous for? I would say uh, vacuum cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Didn't they have like a vacuum cleaner or something? Uh, I don't. I don't think they made it there. Gru is just looking at me blankly. You. You're right. Something about the Simpsons comes to mind, but I have no idea. Okay. Eureka, Illinois. Okay, the 
there is a college. Eureka is known for Eureka College, which is a private liberal arts college. It is the alma mater of President Ronald Reagan. Oh. Ronald Reagan graduated from Eureka College in 1932 with a degree in economics and sociology, and during the course of his life, remained very close to the college. Well, I was way off. Well, no, but that's, o- <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I, I understood this was kind of like this obscure sort of thing, but I, I, I actually, when, when I was researching the story, I think, you're weak, Illinois. You're weak, Illinois. Why do I know that? And then, yeah, it's Reagan. So, all right, but we're not talking about Ronald Reagan. Here's what we are talking about. Last April, in Eureka, Illinois, there was a terrible fire at a mobile home. It killed five people. Um, there, there's video of this fire. I was going to tweet it out, but candidly, I, I just thought better of it because this it happened about 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. This is April 6th. It killed two adults and three children in the mobile home, um, a 69-year-old woman, 34-year-old man, and then three kids, ages two, two, and one. They all died of smoke inhalation. The um, Apparently, there were two survivors, a 27-year-old woman and her juvenile son. Okay, so... Uh, the the couple, the younger couple that died, they were they were the parents of a couple of the kids engaged to be married, etc. The thing went up. The mobile home went up just in a in New York minute. Firefighters got to the scene very very quickly, but by the time they got there, the thing was completely consumed with flames. There was nothing that anybody could end up doing. All right, I bring this up because the fire was set. Authorities know who set the fire. So this was an arson. It was an intentional burning, right? The person that set the fire, intending to set the building on fire, was nine years old. A nine-year-old kid. And so this, at least according and for the purposes of our discussion, this isn't a, a kid playing with matches who just accidentally sets something on fire. For the purposes of our discussion, the theory of the prosecution is this kid, this nine-year-old, intended to burn down the house. And they say he intended to burn down the house and kill the people that were inside. I do not know what his motivation was. They're not saying that. But they say, at least this is the theory, he set the fire on purpose and he set it for the purpose of killing the people that were inside. He has now been charged with five counts of murder. Right? This has created a huge, huge controversy. There are a number of people who do not believe that a nine-year-old should ever be charged with a crime like this. For example, I'm, one of the defense attorneys is saying nine-year-olds don't know that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Santa Claus, I don't believe that. I mean, I I believe in Santa. They don't know people die and don't come back to life. I don't know if nine-year-olds can form an intent to commit murder. Another person says the charges are completely out of line, given what we know about brain development of children. You can't charge nine-year-olds with crimes. They can't appreciate the wrongfulness of their conduct. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, for the purposes of our discussion, let us assume that the kid knowingly and intentionally started the fire. 
This wasn't, again, playing with matches, and it got out of control. He started the fire, and the purpose was that he was trying to kill the people that were inside. Right? Do you believe he could understand that the fire would have killed people inside? Could you ever, should you ever, charge a nine-year-old with a crime like this? Or is that just flat out too young? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. What do you think? If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and text line. Here's a text to get us started. Jeff, by nine years old, kids know right from wrong. If kids really didn't know that murder and arson were wrong, we would be seeing a lot more homes going up in smoke when kids get their Xbox taken away. We have juvenile courts for a reason, and nobody's suggesting the nine-year-old be tried as an adult. I completely agree with that. Now, I understand somebody at the age of nine has a different mindset and a different maturity and a different brain development than somebody at 25 or 35 or 45. So I understand that. At the same time, I agree with the texter. I firmly believe that nine-year-olds know the difference between right and wrong. And a nine-year-old, I think, can certainly understand that, no, you don't light things on fire. And, yeah, I think nine-year-olds can form the intent to kill. Now, will the prosecution be able to prove it? I don't know what sort of evidence they have on that, you know, because they haven't released this information yet. But, yeah, I I think in theory, yes, if you have a nine-year-old, for example, that takes a gun, and there was a case like this out of Michigan a couple months ago, takes a gun and shoots his mother point blank um, because he was mad at his mother. Yeah, I understand that the nine-year-old, I, I think that the nine-year-old understands that what he is doing is, in fact, wrong. Now, it becomes a problem of proof, but but yeah, I, I think you have to do something. Now, the truth of the matter is he's not going to be waived into adult court. He's going to be tried as a juvenile, and candidly, pretty much the most that can happen to him is that he be put on probation until he turns 21. So he's not going to be thrown into an adult prison. And, you know, again, worst case scenario for him is that, you know, you're on probation for the next, you know, 10 or 11 years, which candidly, I don't think is that bad of an outcome if, in fact, you have somebody that decides that they're going to knowingly and intentionally burn down a trailer with the idea that they're intending to kill the people that are inside it. It does make me wonder, you know, what's going to happen as the kid gets older, because if you did do this, it tells me that, you know, you've got a little sociopath on your hands there. And if you're willing to burn down trailers to kill people at the age of nine, what are you going to be doing at 16 or 26 or 36? But this idea that, well, no, you, you shouldn't charge somebody at nine. I don't buy it. Does it affect how you handle the disposition of the case? Absolutely. But, yeah, I think at the age of nine, most kids understand the concept of right and wrong. And I think most kids understand that, gee, if you get mad at somebody, you don't set something on fire with the idea that you're going to hurt them. But that's just me. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Boy, this stuff with Matt Lauer just gets, I mean, worse and worse. And I I, I just, I mean, I I don't know what the truth of this latest allegation is, but it's like, wow. Okay, Matt Lauer, of course, the former NBC News employee, long-term host of the Today Show, 
who was fired a, a while back after reports of sexual misconduct, you know, came out. There's a new book that's coming out uh, next week by Ronan Farrow, and um, it's called Catch and Kill. And the book contains a new allegation from a woman, a previously unnamed former NBC News employee. It was her initial complaint that led to Lauer getting fired from today in November of 2017. The book apparently includes a claim from this woman that Matt Lauer raped her, raped her, that's the phrase, in 2014 at the Sochi Olympics. Um, Lauer is firing back. He says, and this is th- th- this is what he says, and it may or may not be true, but it's kind of like, all right, may- maybe this is why you perhaps should have thought your actions through. He says, I have never assaulted anyone or forced anybody to have sex, period. My silence has been a mistake. Old stories are being recycled, titillating details are being added, and a dangerous and defamatory new allegation is being made. All that is being spread is part of a promotional effort to sell a book. It's outrageous. So after not speaking out to protect my children, it is now with their full support that I say enough. Lauer denies the allegations of rape as categorically false. All right. He does, however, corroborate the report that the two... Um, had a sexual encounter at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. He says that their relationship was extramarital but consensual. He said the night at the Olympics began a months-long affair based on mutual consent and included a sexual encounter in his dressing room at the Today Show. <laughs> you you did do just kind of just shake your head at, at this type of stuff. It's kind of like, okay, really? In your dressing room at the Today Show. Get a room. Uh, this, this is what he writes. The story the woman tells is filled with false details intended to create the impression that this was an abusive encounter. Nothing could be further from the truth. There was absolutely nothing aggressive about the encounter. She did not do or say anything to object. She certainly did not cry. She was fully enthusiastic and willing partner. At no time should be, did she behave in a way that made it appear that she was incapable of consent. He says that the uh, affair ended poorly. And uh, he said later the he Lauer said he later ended the affair poorly and simply stopped communicating with her. He said he first learned of any complaint from her from an NBC attorney on the day before the Today Show anchors revealed that he had been fired. All right. So, again, I don't. I don't know the truth one way or the other about the allegations and was it assault or wasn't an affair and things like that. But it is, I think, the kind of object lesson. And, and the interesting thing is you, you listen to Matt Lauer's defense and maybe he's right or, or not. But you do kind of want to say, boy, you really you really kind of stepped in it by, by putting yourself in this position in the first place. And that's, I think, perhaps the lesson moving forward to people that it's just, you know, time, times have changed. And I mean, I, I, I don't know if he assaulted her. I don't know if his story is true that it was a consensual sort of affair. But, you know, bottom line is, I, I don't know if you're a guy in a position of power or a woman in a position of power for that matter, you know, maybe, Maybe you should think better than, I don't know, having a tryst with one of your subordinates in your dressing room at the Today Show. That We should make that a Wagner's rule of life, I think, perhaps. All right, let us switch gears. There is a fascinating story in the Wall Street Journal today. It, 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 re- it refers to this term called rerun nation. If you have a streaming service, let's say you have Netflix. That's still the most common one, although they're getting challenged. You, you go on to Netflix, 
And there's thousands, hundreds, probably thousands of different things that, that you could watch. You've got different categories of movies. Netflix is coming out with their, their own movies. The Breaking Bad one is on Friday, October 11th. So that's Friday night. I'm planning to watch the Breaking Bad movie. But they've got like some, a lot of their own new movies. Um, they'll have movies that um, are, have run in the theaters. Some are recent movies. Some are movies that were out for years and years. You've got lots of choices of, of movies that you can watch. They have documentaries. They have all sorts of special features. And then, you know, there's segments devoted to TV shows. Now, Netflix has its own TV shows that they, they produce. I mean, you can watch Ozark. That's one of the dramas that's gotten some awards. You can watch... I just uh, watched the season three of Glow, The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. It's a guilty pleasure. But okay, I, I, I ended up watching that. But then there's a segment of, of other TV shows that you can watch. And what they find is the most popular shows on Netflix are reruns of Friends and reruns of The Office. People just can't get enough of them. Let me share with you. The, the first couple paragraphs of the story in today's Wall Street Journal. When Netflix greets Kate Galleon with its bottomless buffet of TV shows and movies, she almost always goes for her comfort food instead, another serving of The Office. Ms. Galen, a 21-year-old baker in Denton, Texas, recently finished all 201 episodes of the comedy series. Okay, so she's just binge-watched finished all 21 episode, 201 episodes of this comedy series. But she didn't just finish all the episodes. She finished them for the 10th time. She's watched the entire run of The Office for 10 times. Says so she tried sampling other shows, but she didn't feel the same spark. So she started just recently her 11th cycle through the TV show The Office. And people, again, do that with friends. I mean, I've told the story. My wife and a number of her friends can't get enough of friends. The, the thing, not necessarily on Netflix, but the thing is on all the time. They're always watching Friends. They've seen the shows over and over again. And, you know, if there's a universe of new TV shows that are out there, they, they'd, they'd rather watch Friends, despite the fact that they know all the lines, despite the fact that they know what's going to happen despite the fact that they know how the whole thing ends, that they want to watch the same show over and over again. It's called Rerun Nation, and many of us are a part of it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question to you. Do you get this? Are, are you one of those people that would rather sit and watch reruns of Friends or The Office or The Andy Griffith Show or Breaking Bad, or whatever, rerun, or Gilligan's Island, I don't care, you know, figure it out. Would you rather watch reruns of old shows than watch newer programming, whether it's movies or TV shows, etc.? 414-799-1620, and, and why? I mean, you know, why? I mean, I look, I, Seinfeld is a great show. Okay, if Seinfeld's on from time to time, I will watch it. At the same time, I've seen all the Seinfeld episodes, you know, multiple times. 
I'm not sure I could actually see sitting down and watching what were there like nine seasons of Seinfeld. I could could I sit down and see you know binge watching one episode of Seinfeld after another? No, I like Seinfeld. It's cute, but I'm going to watch other stuff. Are you part of Rerun Nation? We discuss in just a minute. It's going to be fun. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. They call it Rerun Nation. Are you part of it? Michelle in Germantown. Hi, Michelle. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. Do you get this rerun stuff? I don't understand it whatsoever. However, my son is 17, and he's on his fourth cycle of watching The Office, <laughs> and we don't get it at all. Okay, so there's there, there there's 209 episodes of The Office. He's been through them three times, and he's in the middle of his fourth already, huh? Correct, and he's only 17. Huh. Is there any show out there that you that that you you'd like enough that you'd want to see the entire run two or three times? I agree with you. You know, I if Seinfeld is on TV, I'll flip it on and I'll watch it. But I couldn't sit there and just do cycle after cycle after cycle. I, I don't understand it. No, I, I right, and I mean, I, I guess I mean. And I, I mean, I like older shows and stuff like that. And, and there's all sorts of I, I appreciate the kind of nostalgia thing. But but yeah, I mean, this if I'm going to binge watch stuff now, it, it might be that there's some shows that I, I have only seen like once and I kind of want to see them again or things like that. Or or maybe it's been a while since you watched the first season. So you go back and you rewatch the first season before you start the second season. But just. I guess I just life is too short for me to, to to watch 209 episodes over and over again of the same show. Same here. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So, but 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 again, there's this is the new trend. And, and if you think that this is kind of an oddity, and there aren't that many people doing it, that you know, look at what these streaming services are paying to get The Office and to get Friends off of Netflix. I mean, these are just in, and and look what Netflix is paying to bring Seinfeld or to keep Seinfeld or whatever. The the this is what is driving subscribers. It's not really the new movies. It's not you know the new TV shows. It's the fact that hey, if you want to watch. 10 years of the office or whatever, you know, we're we're the place to go. 414-799-1620. Jim in New Berlin. Hi, Jim. Hey. You know, I really like this topic. This is one, um, I'm definitely part of Rerun City. Okay. Culture. I, Rerun uh, Nation. You are a proud yeah, mayor, a member of I Rerun am. Nation. Okay. I am. And the reason is, you know, the sitcoms then, you know, from Andy Griffith and that group, all the way up to friends were, were fun. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of political thought behind it. Right. I don't think. And I think they're just fun to watch. And they're comfort programs. Yeah. You don't have to worry about what's the innuendo or what's right. the or, or also, you know, you come home, hard day of, I mean, I, hard day of work. You know, you're sitting there and there, there's so many choices out there. And somebody might say, hey, you know, the, the guy on the radio recommended this particular show. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to invest two hours of my life in trying to find it out. So here, I'm just going to put on The Office or put on, you know, whatever. I know I like this. I like the characters. Yeah. It makes me smile. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's comfort programming. Yeah, no, thank 
right. No, thanks. And I, I get it. I mean, they're they're there. Jeff, I am a rerun nation person. I DVR King of Queens. Everybody loves Raymond and Seinfeld because they're funny. And to me, they never get old. I think a lot of the new sitcoms out there are absolutely awful. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. My wife and I watch all of our TV by streaming. Um, I mentioned to her the other day that the acting in the current show seems to become really bad compared to the older shows. All right, let's talk to Taylor in River Hills. Hi, Taylor. Good afternoon. Good Thanks afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. This, this is great because I just got a streaming service, and I'm watching all these different shows that I haven't seen for 40 years. I just got done with uh, the, all the seasons of Magnum P.I. Okay. I found out. Who, um, oh God, I forgot the author's name, Robin, uh, who Robin was. And then I, I watched all of the seasons of Kung Fu. Okay. Which was just an interesting show. But now I am, just, this is just weird being a dude. I am enthralled by the nighttime soap opera Dynasty. Oh, the boy with John Forsythe and Linda Evans and, um, oh, oh, who's the brunettes? Joan Collins. Yeah. And Joan Collins. I can't believe how mean that. <laughs> okay, well, see, all right, Taylor. Okay, but, okay, here's, here is my question. Okay, I understand, you know, you're, you, you, you watch Magnum PI and, you, and you've seen it all the way through. Here is my question. Do you think that you're going to go back and watch that, that whole series again and maybe again? Absolutely, because okay. <laughs> it took me a long time to find out what the finale was right. and, and who Robin Masters was. So now I'm going to go back over and over again okay. and watch to see what hints there were. To that. Okay, okay, got it, right. No, th- thanks. No, I mean, I, right, it, it is. it does kind of offer you perspective. Now, I... I think one, I've said this before, I think one of the best TV shows ever was a TV show called Hill Street Blues. And um, I, I don't think you have a lot of the, I don't think you have um, the, the. Um, I, I don't think you have a lot of the shows. I'm not sure you have Breaking Bad. I don't think you have a lot of the, the shows if you didn't have Hill Street Blues. So I, I had all seven seasons of that on uh, DVD. And I started watching it. And after about the third or fourth season, I, I I stopped. I, I just kind of lost interest in it because I thought, oh, this is okay. It's kind of repetitive and stuff like that. So, I mean, I can understand going back and wanting to watch the old shows. The interesting thing is this this lady, at the age of 21, she's watched The Office 10 times. 414-799-1620. Ken on the east side. Hi, Ken. You're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, great show. As, as Thank well. you, sir. I just want to make a quick comment. Um, I've watched I'm 51 years old. I've watched MASH probably 10,000 times, just to be honest with you, because I learned something from each episode. What okay. I love MASH. Okay. So you, you every time you watch it, even if you've seen a particular episode three or four or five times, it doesn't get old, and sometimes you see something new that you hadn't met, that you'd missed before. That That, that is absolutely correct. And uh, MASH is a telling story, as you know, yeah. I'm sure you've, you've sure. seen it. I, and I'm so addicted to it. And my second choice is the Odd Couple. 
I know what happens with Felix and Oscar, <laughs> but I, I love watching the iCouple. I don't uh, know if you ever watched it. Oh, sure. I remember when it was on with uh, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. Okay, but let me ask you this, Ken. Do, do you, are you ever concerned? There, there's so much TV that's out there. there. There's so many different choices, that, that stuff you can watch. Are you ever concerned that when you're spending this time watching MASH over and over again, that you're missing out on, on something else that you might enjoy as much, if not more? Uh, well, the other show I do like is, uh, which is addictive, which I try to stay from, is The Walking Dead. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for no, thanks for yeah. It's it's it, that that's another one I have here. What's I got this list here? The for as part of rerun nation, the most what they say are the most rewatched shows: Game of Thrones, Friends, The Office, Grey's Anatomy. Breaking Bad, I could get that, and the walk. And, and I'll, I'll admit, for Breaking Bad, have I have I seen the whole series through and through ten times? No, but I, I have probably. I've watched some of the Breaking Bad marathon, so I've probably seen it through two or three times. The Walking Dead, I've, I'm I'm not a. I understand the Walking Dead is more than a zombie show. I've just never gotten into the Walking Dead. I, so I, 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 I've read about. It, I know enough about it, so I know some of the characters because it's part of pop culture, but. Uh, but those are there, there's a lot of this out there, a lot of this watching. Josh on the South Side. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Funny that guy came on before me. I remember as a kid, people watching Mash like on Cheap Channel Six or something over and over. Again. Right. Thought, oh, that's what's the definition of insanity? <laughs> um, I, it's fascinating because it's the golden age of TV. There's so many great shows, maybe not on, on broadcast, but on cable and HBO and right. I just don't understand it. I will say one thing, you know, looking back, if you've never seen it, I think that kind of factors in. It's new to you, just because it's a rerun. Um, a lot of complaints about no representation among African Americans. I remember what's happening at Jefferson's Love oh, sure. Positive Role Models. So it sounds crazy to me they complain about well, people complain about it. Yeah, I mean, right, the, right. You've got those shows that are there. And I guess, see, I. See, there's two different things, and, and when we when they talk about rerun nation, I think what they mean, it's not rediscover, it's not discovering a show that you know nobody that that's that, that's a rerun. It's not like, hey, you know, there's this new Breaking Bad movie that's coming out. Breaking Bad is a great series, it's a seminal series. You you should watch that. So it's not like going back and saying, okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to discover, I want to find out what everybody else is talking about. So I'm I'm going to watch this. All right, it's not that. It's you've watched it. And then you've watched it again, and then you've watched it again, and then you've watched it again. Now, I will say this about Seinfeld. I, I, I've commented on this before. I always thought – I didn't think Seinfeld was going to have legs. By that, I mean I thought it was going to be kind of a time capsule, you know, kind of a an indication of, like, New York in the 1990s and stuff like that. And I was admit, I was completely wrong. Those Seinfeld episodes hold up as well today as they did, you know, when, when they first aired. So – so I mean, have have I seen all the Seinfeld episodes, you know, through and through, back to back, once? Yes. Do I think that I'm going to spend a lot of time like binge watching over and over again? I I just I just don't see myself doing that. Derek in Port Washington. Derek, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, I like to watch the shows that I uh, I watch Community now. I'm the thirteenth time. Okay. Really? And, uh, I yeah yeah I I like. Watching the different characters each time, and uh, and knowing the beginning and that there's an end, and you know you make the connections with that, and you you know you it's satisfying. Okay. I, I like when I watch like a new show on Netflix or something. You have to wait almost two years sometimes for the right. next season, and you might not and like maybe it. Maybe it. 
Right, you, 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 come back right. And you invested that time. You know, everything is an investment. Right. On your phone, the Facebook, you know, it's all investments. And you get that, you right. know, with your community, with community, you're going to get the payoff. Now, thanks, Rick. I, I, I get, and look, I'm not being judgmental about this one way or the other. It's just that this struck me as being intriguing because there is now a name for, for people who would rather watch the same shows over and over and over again. You, you are a member. You are a proud citizen of Rerun Nation. Now, look, I, 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 I I don't have the high road on this. I'm going to go. I'm going to see Jimmy Buffett in Las Vegas a week from Saturday night. I stopped counting after going to 75 Buffett shows. Maybe I've got a problem. I, I understand it, and and you know their shows are always different and stuff. But I like what what I like. So I mean, I, I and and it, it's fine. It's just that there's all these folks out there that are doing it. I also have another confession to make. Gru, did you watch The Office when it was on? Were you a, were you a fan of The Office? Yeah, but once Michael Scott left, Steve Carell's character, I okay. think I, I think I stopped watching for a while. I don't think I have ever seen an entire an entire thirty second show of The Office, thirty minute show through to, through to through. I just I didn't get into it when it was on the air, and I, and, and and people just absolutely love it. So the one thing that this this article has encouraged me to do is over the next week or two i think i'm going to pull up the first season of the office and because again that that's not reruns i haven't seen it so at least i think i'm going to watch some of these to see kind of what the buzz is about but i i guarantee you i'm not going to go through it beginning to end 10 times just not going to happen it's 157 this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Tony Bedick, I admit I'm having this what could possibly go wrong moment. Have you been looking at all these emails we're getting about, about the building and parking tomorrow? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so we, we at, our, at our studios that we share with our, you know, our, our we, with WTMJ TV, TV Channel Four, you know, Radio City. Th- there is an employee parking area in in the back, and also in the back of the building, we have a number of, as you might expect, with radio stations and TV stations. There's a number of towers and antennas and satellite dishes and stuff like that. I don't pretend to know what what everyone does. The for the last week or two, there's been this huge back section of the parking lot that's been kind of bo- blocked off with police tape. So it it's but nothing's happened. And I, I guess I just I haven't been aware of what what's going on and why this has been blocked off with police tape. But people don't park in it. It's just it's it's kind of a pain. All right. So we get this email yesterday. We have a truck coming to pick up the antenna Thursday. I assume that is like a giant tower or something. Is I that what that is? I think it's one of the big ones because okay. they just replaced it. So we will need a portion of the parking lot clear for it to make the necessary turns to get the truck in and out. And then they, they show the parking lot, and they say a portion of the pro- parking lot. It's about like 85% of the yeah. parking lot. Yep. They're telling you, you know, don't park there. Please do not park or leave a vehicle in the area marked in red until Thursday until we notify. Only park in places designated, which then, of course, raises the issue of where do you park. And there's a follow-up thing. Remember, okay, remember, don't park there. Don't park in the front drive. Um, they don't tell you where you should park. Don't park in a <laughs> space that's not designated for you. All right, so don't park in one of these spots that's not designated. Don't park in the front drive. Don't park in the whole back area. 
when it's all said and done, it's about a maybe 10%, maybe 5 to 10% of the lot that's available. And even if you do, you're going to run the risk of this huge semi with the antenna? That has, that has to make some giant yeah. turn with this antenna. I just... I. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to tell you, like seeing all this area that they've got marked off in red, I don't want my car anywhere right. back. I mean, I, I got insurance <laughs> I and stuff, but I don't want any. I I don't know where the car is going to be tomorrow, and um maybe this maybe they'll get this taken care of. But of course, it's going to be windy tomorrow too. Yeah, you know, this will be interesting. Again, I lump this into the category of stay tuned because what what can possibly go wrong i always remember a few years ago on live tv oh gosh i'm thinking that her name was i think diane she was on today she was on channel four and they were they they were they were doing this thing where the christmas tree that that like the city christmas tree Mm -hmm. was being like put in place and the thing fell over on live tv and and she she was was on live tv and she's oh I don't think that's going to ha- Diane Patthew, I think, was her name. Wonderful young lady. I think she went to Chicago or something. But, but they're live TV, and you're just <laughs> watching this tree go over, and her line was, oh, I don't think that's supposed to happen. I, for some reason, I, I'm antenna, giant truck that needs room to maneuver. Don't know where I'm going to put my car tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to be with you. I'm hoping it's all said and done before I even get into work well, tomorrow it's, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd come in a little later, except I promised Jane Matinere I'd do something with her at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh well, all right. So just stay tuned. You never know. We might be making news here at Radio City. All right. I start this next topic off by uh, the, the category would be, "Hey, buddy, what do you mean you want to take my daughter on a hike?" Okay, here's the story. A couple years ago, the Boy Scouts, um, they stopped becoming the Boy Scouts, and they decided that they wanted to allow girls, females, to participate in scouting. Since girls were first to allowed to join last year, more than 100,000 girls ages 5 to 10 have joined the Cub Scouts. And about 25,000 older girls have joined Scouts BSA. They're not called the Boy Scouts anymore. They're called Scouts BSA, which is the the new acronym for the Boy Scouts program, which um, is for now boys and girls up to the age of 18. Okay, so girls can participate. Now, there is a rule that they have in place. The rule, and it's under the heading of Youth Protection, The rule the Scouts have say, two registered adult leaders, 21 years of age or over, are required at all scouting activities, including meetings, right? Got to have two adults. It also says a registered female adult leader, 21 years of age or over, must be present for any activity involving female youth. So the deal is girls are invited to participate in Cub Scouting. Girls are invited to participate in Boy Scouting. But if there's girls that are present, there has to be a female scout leader, registered female scout leader on the premises. All right, which brings me to the specific story and the larger point that I want to discuss with you. All right, apparently out of Illinois, there is... There's a, a guy who um, he's his kids are involved in Cub Scouting. He is actually a den leader, and he has a seven-year-old daughter. 
who um, he has a seven-year-old daughter who wants to participate in in Cub Scouting. Okay, so here's the deal. They're getting ready to, to have a hike. All these these Cub Scouts are together. They're going to do an evening hike, all right? The problem is there's no female Cub Scout leader that are present. There were male den leaders present, including the girl's father, but there's no female Scout leader there. Now, the rules say you got to have a female. The female leader eventually arrived the group sets out together, all right? They cross the stream, they walk on logs, they find their way through the dark and the flashlight, kind of like a, a little classic scout adventure. But here's the problem. The female den leader says, look, for, for various reasons, I can't keep doing this. I can't attend the scouting events. So this leaves now the males with a problem. They don't have any female den leaders. And again, without a female leader present, according to the policy, girls can't participate in the Boy Scout activities. All right, so the the den leader, the dad, he says, well, wait a second. I mean, my my kid, my daughter wants to participate in these things. We we don't have a female den leader that's around. We're going to try to find one, but we don't have one. I think it's unfair that we need to have a female that is present for these activities. So the dad kind of raises a stink with this, and the Boy Scouts say, okay, I tell you what, since you are her father, we're going to make an exception to the rule. Since you're her father, as long as you're there, you don't need to have a female leader present when your daughter is there. So they're going to make an exception in this case. But they say, just so you know, th- this is an exception. Um, it's a special accommodation. But our rule stays in place that if female Cub Scouts or boy female Boy Scouts, female Scouts are going to participate, there needs to be a female leader present. And this dad is saying, look, I appreciate that you've accommodated me, but I think this is discriminatory. I mean, why why should we have to have a female leader that's present? If you've got two registered, certified adults, does it make any difference if they're male or they're female? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am very curious as to what you think about this. The rule is... You got to have a female scout leader present if there's female scouts. All right? The fact that you've got two guys or three guys, that doesn't cut it. But a lot of these scout troops are saying, well, we're having trouble finding female leaders. Is this discriminatory? I mean, are, are we discriminating against the males? Should we assume that if you've got like a seven or eight year old girl that she can't properly be supervised by the 23 year old guys who would or 25 or 30 year old guys? It, it's OK for having them to supervise an eight or nine year old boy. Is it wrong for them to not be able to say that they can't supervise an eight or nine year old girl? All right. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, is this bad policy? Is it sex discrimination? Greg in Waukesha. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, Yeah, I believe that that the policy is good. I think that having an adult there that is her father is well acceptable. Uh, Probably even better than having a female that's not related, in my opinion. Uh, If it was my kid, I would say that's 
Okay, well, they, but Nick, of course, in this case, they made a specific exception to the rule because it was her father. They say yeah. that they have no intention of changing the rule otherwise. So if you don't have a female scout leader around, uh, the, the seven-year-old can't go on the hike. Does that make sense to you? I think the exception, no, I think the exception is should be the rule if it's a parent, but if it's not a parent, then forget it. No way. Okay. So the idea of two, like two 25-year-old guys off on the hike with like a seven or eight-year-old girl, you don't think that would be a good idea, assuming, again, one's not the parent. Okay, good yeah, enough. Absolutely not. And I've been trained for the scouts for many years, and I think the training is great, and the training is great, but... It's just a bad mistake. Well, all right. Th- thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, I, I'll tell you what I think in a minute. I want to get some more opinion on this. 414-799-1620. Patrick in Grafton. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you? Very well. Thank you, sir. Okay. Is this discrimination? Should they change the policy? Um, well, I'm a, actually a male Girl Scout troop leader, and I feel that and my, my daughter's Girl Scout troop was going to dissolve, and so I kind of took over. But the one thing they said, yes, you can be a Girl Scout troop leader, but you have to have a female with you. Right. So what I did was I had my wife come along. Right. She attended all the events, but we still needed one other person that wasn't related. So we started getting the adults more and more involved. But I do not feel that in any way, shape, or form that um, two males should be with a female in the scout situation. Right. So you, you think there should always be at least one adult train, you know, one adult female on these different events. Absolutely. And to protect the father, too, because well, you never know. Well, right. Well, yeah. Thanks. For, I guess, you know, I, um, I, I think this I think this policy makes sense, too. I mean, there, there's a difference. We, we, we want to pretend in today's day and age that, you know, ev- everybody's the same. But the truth is, you know, boys and girls are, are different. And I can I can imagine you've got like a, a 30-year-old or a 35-year-old, you know, male that's out on a hike and something happens to, you know, that this 7- or 8-year-old girl who, you know, trips over the log or, or whatever. I, I just think on, on so many different levels, it's – it's a much better idea to have somebody of the same sex as one of the, the participants, you know, there. Now, I, I mean, does, does that mean that I think there's going to be molestation? No, I'm not necessarily saying that. I just think it's it's kind of a better idea because maybe something's going to come up that the kid, the child, is going to be much would be extremely uncomfortable if it's a male, particularly. Let's take the, let's take a seven or eight year old female, and something happens. All right, I, I think I can easily envision a whole lot of things where she's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe not so uncomfortable if it's her dad, but if it's some, it's just the male scout leader who's got a. I, I don't know, you, you fell down and you, you cut your hip or something, and here, I need to look at this. Right, they're going to be more comfortable, much more comfortable, if, if it's the female that's doing that as opposed to the male. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Scott in Fort Atkinson. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking the call. Hi, Scott. I guess, I guess more what I'm looking at is not so much from a discriminatory standpoint, with that logic, with the rationale that we're talking about here, wouldn't you need that in all schools? Wouldn't you need that in all daycares? I mean, where does it end? Why is why are scouting being singled out 
Well, when you've got this situation in everyday life everywhere you go. Well, but I mean, I think you do try to accommodate it. For example, you know, at the, uh, you, you go through TSA at the airport with adults, and if, if you mm-hmm. need to get patted down, you're, they're, they're going to have a guy that pats you down if you're a guy. And if you're a gal, they're going to have a gal that comes up and pats you down. I mean, if, I guess if TSA does it, doesn't it make sense that other places might, you know, recognize that there's a difference between boys and girls? I think given different situations, yeah, but, you know, I'll go back to, like, I remember in grade school, middle school, our school nurse was a female. Yeah. Was a female. Why yeah. Why would you have a male and a female? Well, I, I guess, I, I think it's different. I mean, thanks for that. I mean, I think you're, you're, it's different situations. If, you, if you've got a... If you've got a medical, and okay, in your case, it's it's a medical professional. It's it's a nurse, and and I think you know that's that's different. If you you know you go into a doctor, you got a school doctor. Maybe they're going to be a male. Maybe they're going to be a female. I think that's a different situation than one of these kind of volunteer situations. I, I guess I. I'm trying to think of something that makes sense, and, and in most cases, it's not going to be an issue. But again, imagine imagine the deal where you're you're off on the hike. You know, it's dark. The seven-year-old girl falls and cuts herself, scratches herself. I, I don't know, and you need to you need to check it out. You need, you need to say, okay, what exactly has happened here? And so maybe it requires a degree of touching. Maybe it requires you know looking at something or or whatever. And I don't know if you know it's not a good situation in general but you know that 7 or 8 year old girl might be uncomfortable having the male do it as opposed to you know being less uncomfortable if it's the female that's doing it i guess i think this rule makes sense and some people are saying i wouldn't even make an exception for the the you know the the dad in this case the dad was just supervising his daughter it, it's one of these cans of worms that got opened up when the Boy Scouts made the decision that they were going to, you know, admit girls to the the events. And and one of the big things they said was, yeah, we're going to admit girls, but we're going to make sure that that means that there's adult participation. Here's the bottom line. I think if you're going to have a troop or a Cub Scout pack or whatever that, you know, is going to have both boys and girls, you need a commitment from the parents that there's going to be both boys, men, and women who are going to be there to volunteer to participate. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am being absolutely swamped with emails and texts about Rerun Nation, what we talked about in the last uh, 45 minutes of the show or so. I will, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I'll send out a tweet with this Wall Street Journal story that, that talks about how so many of us would rather watch old TV shows over and over and over and over again instead of the new stuff that's out there. Yeah, you're, you're, if that's you, you are a proud citizen of Rerun Nation. I'll send out a tweet to the story, assuming that the story is not behind a paywall. I'm not sure one way or the other, but I will try that once I get off the air. All right. Here's the deal. Is 78 the new 45? Or does age really matter? Now, Bernie Sanders, who is one of the leading candidates to get the Democrat nomination, I think right now you would say the two favorites are Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. But but Bernie Sanders is certainly up there, although you could argue that he's kind of being passed by by um, Elizabeth Warren. Here's the deal. Bernie Sanders, who just, what was it, last week, had now what he's saying is a heart attack. You know, had, had very active campaign. 
he had a heart attack. So he's been off the campaign trail. I think he's getting ready to start doing events. But even he's saying, we're going to do this. It's it's not going to be what it was. It's not going to be four events a, a day. Um, I'm, I'm going to slow my campaign pace. Now, of course, you know, just coming off treatment for a heart attack, I mean, I can't I, – I ran statewide once, and that's an incredible stress and strain, and I did that when I was in my 30s. I I can't imagine what running for president would be, much like at 78, much like after you've just had a heart attack. But he says, I'm going to continue to campaign. Bernie Sanders right now is 78. If he were elected president, he would be the oldest president ever elected by far. Joe Biden one of probably the two leading Democrat candidates. He's 76 years old. President Trump, 73 years old. Elizabeth Warren, 70 years old. And there you have, I think, you know, I think that those are probably the four, you know, leading candidates. Unless something dramatic happens, President Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. And, you know, my guess is, unless something dramatic happens, either Biden or Warren, or maybe Sanders, maybe, they're going to be the Democrat nominee, but they're all going to be, well, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is the spring chicken, and she's 70 years old, all right? Um, I had a friend I was talking to the other day who turned 70 this year, and he is incredibly sharp, he is incredibly vibrant. My guess is he is as active at 70 as as he probably was at 50 and 40 and, and 30, and it's just, it's a pleasure to be around him. But, but of course, at the same time, as Bernie Sanders proved this week, you're 78 years old. Now, look, I understand people in their 20s and 30s have heart attacks. I, I get that. It can happen to anybody. But the truth of the matter is, as you get older, well, I mean, you, you have more health-related sort of things. Your hearing tends to fail. Your eyesight tends to fail. Um, you you have, you know, you, you people fall down and, you know, you, you break hips, things like that. Stuff starts to wear out. It is... As you get older, your health as a general rule, no matter how active you are, you know, it, it deteriorates. You you have more problems because that's just one of the natural functions of aging. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does age matter or should age matter in deciding the president of the United States. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think, and, and I, I kind of hate myself for saying this, but I mean, I think, I think Bernie Sanders, who I always believed was going to be a long shot to get the Democrat nomination this time around. I, I think four years ago might have been his time, but he got aced out by Hillary Clinton. I, I think this recent health scare, pretty much. As a practical matter, I think ends his campaign because I think it's going to give a lot of people this hesitation. My gosh, the guy's 78 years old. There are other candidates that are out there who, you know, reflect Bernie's views, but, you know, they're younger. They're arguably more vibrant. They don't appear to have the health problems. So, I I mean, I I think this, this health scare has made it very, very difficult for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination. That's just my personal opinion. But you look at the other candidates, they're all in their 70s. And, you know, who knows exactly if they've got health issues as well. All right, is age just the number, or is it a concern that you have all these people who are nominated or, who you know, we're talking about the leader of the free world. We are talking about a job 
which no matter how you cut it, is incredibly stressful. Should it matter that people are, you know, in their early 70s, mid 70s, upper 70s? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Sandy in Wausau. Sandy, you're first. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank Hey, are you listening to us over the stream, or are you picking us up over on-the-air stuff up in Wausau? I'm, I'm streaming you. You get a little foggy when you get up into the Wausau area. <laughs> okay. well, not so much Wausau, but when I get up in Rhinelander, it's a little fuzzy. Okay, so great. I, I, I stream you. Super. I was just kind of curious. Yeah. Um, my perspective on this, I, age matters when it comes to the physical part of our bodies. If You need to have regular exercise. I don't care if you're 40, 50, or 80. If you keep fit, um, you are going to eliminate uh, ailments, Mm -hmm. including a heart attack. You have to keep your heart strong in order to stay healthy. And I think regular exercise really does matter for a person's um, physical health. Mm -hmm. And so if you compare a 78-year-old to a 40-year-old and the 78-year-old does not do any type of exercise, well, then you're 78. Yeah. Um, but if you're 78 and you do regular exercise, well, you could be the new 50. Um, and as far as mind-wise, Bernie Sanders running for president, I personally think that he's a little too old right. because your mind is not going to be as sharp as a 50-year-old when you're 82. Well, see, that that's what I was going to ask you because I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. I, 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 just, I, I think yeah. Reagan was great. But when Reagan was elected to his second term, he was almost 74 years old, not quite 74. And I think it's pretty clear as, as he went through his second term, um, he, he started to lose it a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, I just, and yeah, yeah, and I just, I guess that's part, I mean, I'm not an ageist in any way, shape or form, but I, I'm thinking, you, you know, there is, there is a point where no matter how healthy you are physically and stuff, things just, you, you, you got to start to slip. And I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, I know people in their 80s who are incredibly sharp, but they will tell you that, you know, they're not as sharp as they were when they were in their 50s, for example. Oh, I, I, I noticed it in myself. I'm almost 59. And I, I noticed that I, you know, become a little bit more forgetful. Yeah. What, what did I do yesterday? I can <laughs> remember what I did um, 30 yeah. years ago. But I think that's normal. And whether you're Bernie Sanders, Sanders, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, they have the same same faults, right. the same problems than we do. Yeah. No, thanks. I, I do think age kind of matters. Now, to Sandy's point with health, I, I, I want to recommend, if you're a student of history, I've been, I've been reading this series of books. It's a trilogy by a guy named Nigel Hamilton. And it, it's about World War II, and he, he's, he's a big fan of Franklin Roosevelt, and the, the books are, are the interaction between Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, and he's kind of a revisionist. His theory is that Churchill gets too much credit and Roosevelt doesn't get enough, okay? And it's a very, very interesting series of books. The third one just came out a couple months ago. I finished the first two. I'm three-quarters of the way through the third one, and and. I, I guess I knew this, but it's really hitting home. All right, President Roosevelt, nineteen—he died in forty-five. In nineteen forty-four, 
his health is really a mess. I, I mean, he's he's on the verge of congestive heart failure. He's got no energy at all. The staff is kind of covering for him, and, and he's still got a degree of mental sharpness. But, you know, he was only... Gosh, I, I think he was 62 or 63, but, you know, his health was just an absolute mess. Now, nobody up knowing about it. In the case of Roosevelt, it wasn't his chronological age. It was just that, you know, and, and he this was all the talk because he ran for the fourth term in November of 44. And there was this kind of concerted effort to stop the, the press and the general public from realizing how sick he was. And he ended up passing away of cerebral hemorrhage, in, I think, in April of 45. But, you know, he was... Starting in the spring of '44, he was really, really sick, and you know, was he able to do his job? Sort of, kinda. But again, that wasn't—it wasn't just an age thing; it was a health thing. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Rick in New Berlin. Hi, Rick. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, you know, I think the cutoff point should be sixty-five, and that like should be your last year in office, no matter what, president, senator, congressman, governor, Supreme Court justice. Um, you know, they—they—they've yeah. got—they're—they're they're there for you life. Know, yeah. Them too, yeah. You know that people start having hardening of the arteries at starting at uh, in their late forties. Uh, you know, Bernie here again. No, we don't know everything about Bernie, and you, the reason they put in stents is because most of the time is they can't do open heart. Right. And you know, you know, it just it 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 goes down from there. I was just wondering. You're talking about Franklin. Roosevelt? How old was, uh, yeah, how old was Eisenhower when he went out? I mean, I, I, uh, he, I don't remember. I was, when, how old was he when he passed away? Uh, I got yeah. I got to uh, Thanks for let me Let me see if I can check on that quickly. I, I don't I, I don't remember. Ro- Roosevelt, I know, was he was 62 when 40, 1944 was when he really started. He'd always had health issues, but he really started going downhill, at least according to this book. And then he passed away in April of 65 for uh, uh, at April of 45, four, one, four, seven, nine, nine, one, six, twenty. I I look, do I think that there automatically have to be age limits? No. At the same time, I do think age is is more than just the number. And w- when I look at this crop of candidates, I mean, you know, Donald Trump, you know, who knows how healthy he really is, you know, but, you know, 73. Elizabeth Warren, 70. She's the spring chicken of the group. Bernie Sanders, 78. I, I mean, and, and I do think this recent health scare, like I say, fair or unfair, I, I think this is probably a hill that's going to doom his presidential campaign because a lot of people, even if they like his policies, they'll they'll find some other left-leaning candidate without, again, the, that the baggage of the health thing. Biden, 76, means, you know, after he finishes his first term, he's going to be 80 or 81. 414-799-1620, Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Um, I think there should be a mandatory age of like 65, and I agree with your other caller. Apply should apply to Congress as well, you know, and, and possibly the Supreme Court. Because I think, you know, after a time, not only does your mental capacity start to suffer a little bit, I think it's good to have some new ideas in there. When you've got people like Pelosi and Chuck Grasser and Schumer who are in their 70s and 80s in office, right? Uh, you need that control. That's that's. Probably well, the major point. well, I mean, I, I think, and thanks. I mean, I, I also, I think there is something to be said for youth. <laughs> I guess I, that, that's, you know, and I'm, and look, and I, I, again, I'm not being ageist about this, but I think, you know, there is, I, I, I think about all the stresses and the strains that you have. You, you just, you look at the pictures 
of the people who served as president, and you look at when they came in, and then you look at when they left. I mean, it's a job that just inevitably ages people, the exception being Ronald Reagan. He looked probably just as good when he left as when he came in, but that's a whole different story. Okay, the question was um, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Um, Eisenhower passed away in 1969 at the age of 78, so he would have been... Um, president when he was like 61 to like 68 or 69, if I'm doing my math correctly. So he he was out of office before the age of 70. Now, he had some whole series of, of health issues. He had had, as I recall, multiple heart attacks and things like that over the years. But but I mean, he I mean, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who, again, you, you think of you look at these pictures, you think, OK, th- this guy was really old. Well, I mean, he he was he was done with two terms. And and he was younger than Donald. And he was and he was younger than Elizabeth Warren, Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden, or Bernie Sanders would be. Um, I think this is an issue that, that's going to play out. Are are you going to see age based term limits? Probably not. But is is it a factor that people are going to consider? Yes. And again, right or or wrong, I think this recent health scare with Bernie Sanders. I think this, you know, might be a blow that his campaign just doesn't come back from because, again, people are going to have concerns, rightly or wrongly, about his health, especially coupled with his age. All right. When we come back, Eric Bilstead in for John McCure. We'll find out what he has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.